Welcome. Thank you to everyone joining us online and here at the ASU California Center at the historic Herald Examiner Building. With great respect, Zocalo Public Square acknowledges the Yuhaviatam, the first people of this ancestral and unceded territory of Yangna that we now know as downtown Los Angeles. We honor their elders, past and present, and the Yuhaviatam descendants who are part of the Gabrielino Tongva and the Fernandeño Tataviam nations. We recognize that the Tongva are still here and we are committed to uplifting their stories, culture, and community. As Kulu Yam, we recognize our responsibility and obligation to care for their land. I'm Naledi, and I'm events coordinator at Zocalo Public Square, an Arizona State University media enterprise. At Zocalo, our mission is to connect people to ideas and to each other. Everything we do is free, and everyone is welcome. We publish original writing and present conversations like this one. You can find us at zocalopublicsquare.org, on podcast platforms, and YouTube. So please subscribe for our latest programs. Our next program will be held on Thursday, September 27th, where we'll be asking, how should we prepare for aliens to arrive on Earth? Please join us back here to discuss if humanity can find unity and how we present ourselves to the new arrivals. Tonight we present, What Can We Laugh About? part of Experience ASU. I'm pleased to introduce Michael Reed from our partners, ASU Gamage. Thank you, Zendeli. Hi, everyone. I'm Michael Reed. I'm our Senior Director of Programs and Organizational Initiatives at ASU Gamage, and we're very proud to be presenting, co-presenting with Zocalo Public Square this evening. ASU Gamage is the Frank Lloyd Wright-designed theater on the ASU campus in Tempe, Arizona. Our mission is connecting communities, and we achieve that by supporting the work of compelling and brilliant artists like this evening's Basim Youssef and Christina Wong, who lead us in celebrating the many communities of Arizona, our nation, and the globe. Please visit our social media platforms to find out more about our upcoming performances and events. So this is the fun part. I get to introduce tonight's MC. Gustavo Ariano is a writer and columnist for the LA Times, host of the podcast, The Times, author of Taco USA, How Mexican Food Conquered America, Ask a Mexican, and Orange County, A Personal History. So, with no further ado, Gustavo, over to you. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us here tonight. I'm delighted to be speaking with our two incredible guests. Christina Wong is a performance artist, comedian, writer, and elected representative of Koreatown, Los Angeles. I think they're all your constituents here. <laughs> She's been a guest on late night shows on Comedy Central, NBC, and FX, and she co-created a reality TV pilot with Lionsgate for True TV. Hey, I once had a deal at Lionsgate. It went nowhere, sadly. <laughs> it went nowhere. It, it went works. nowhere. It went nowhere. 
Lord. Her solo show, Christina Wong's <laughs> Sweatshop Overlord, was named a Pulitzer Prize finalist in drama. And hey. <laughs> All right. And her, yeah, I, I, no one else is, no, no one else cares for Pulitzer Prizes except us here, I guess. Sorry, sorry, Christina. Uh, and, and her other works have been presented across North America, the UK, Hong Kong, and Africa. She's been awarded numerous artist residencies, grants, and awards, including being a Los Angeles artist in residence nine times, nine times. And she is currently developing a new work as a three-year artist in residence at ASU Gamage. So, Christina, round of applause. And to her left, Bassem Youssef is a political satirist from Egypt who has been called the John Stewart of the Arab world. He was a host of the TV show Al Bernabeg, the show in English, which was the first of its kind political satire show in the Middle East, the most watched show across the region, and which was canceled, actual canceled, not Dave Chappelle canceled, multiple times as a result of its, critici of its criticisms of Egypt's governments. Bassem has been recognized by Time Magazine and Foreign Policy Magazine and was awarded an International Press Freedom Award by the Committee to Protect Journalists. He has also appeared on The Daily Show. He left Egypt in 2014 after Al Bernabeg was canceled and has been touring the United States with his one-man show. Before his media career, he was also a practicing surgeon for 13 years. So round of applause for Bassem. We, we, I will probably never be on stage with two comedic geniuses again, so I have to take my shot, as Lin-Manuel Miranda would say, and I'm gonna say a joke. Uh-oh. And the crowd, yeah. No, it's not, it's, not, it's not what we talked about before. It's actually going to be worse. Okay. Knock, knock. Who's there? Sokalo. Sokalo. Okay, we can now laugh. Yeah, it didn't work. But, so it, oh God, now I'm getting booed. I know you, Angie. My, my comadre there's laughing at me. But I think it gets to the point, and kind of a tweak that I want to do on what we're supposed to talk about. So the the title is, What Can We Laugh About? And I heard two or three laughs there, so we could honestly laugh about anything. But I think the conversation we should have is, what should we laugh about? What should we laugh about in an era where a lot of people, I think it's hype, but a lot of people say, you can't laugh anymore. On the right, people say, oh, you know, you, we can't make the jokes that we used to be able to do back in the day, which is a whole other conversation. But then you also have people on the left who will say, like, well, some of the things that we used to laugh about, maybe we shouldn't laugh at them anymore. Like, I was actually giving this example uh, the other day. I was watching, uh, or I was um, talking about In Living Color, the legendary sketch show on Fox that for three seasons, it was the most brilliant thing I think I'd ever seen. The fourth season was just trash. But you see it now, yeah, some of the jokes, like, oh, I don't know about that, but they were getting a lot of laughs. So what should we laugh about? Like, right now, at this point in time, what should we be laughing mm. about? In 2022. In I, I think what you're speaking to is like that, that humor must respond to a current moment. And we were just talking because Bassem has a show that he's writing in his head as he's watching us right now <laughs> that he has to do in Paris in two weeks. <laughs> but that, <laughs> it's, that there's, there are even jokes from a year ago, they just won't work in the moment. So yeah. it's just really, I think, trying to respond to the moment. And, and I think a smarter approach to comedy is thinking about like um, where where do we need sort of a sense of relief and not creating humor that's a source of abuse to those who've already experienced a lot of abuse in the moment. Yeah, 
Basim, what do you think? What, what should we be laughing about right now? Well, I mean, if you look at the sentence like we and should, who are we? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. it's different for everybody. Americans. Right? We are Americans. Like, no, it's like we is different. Like even Americans, I mean, we don't even have one American. Yeah. So mm -hmm. what, what could be funny for you is offensive for someone else. And the, and the, and the word should is a very, very, very dangerous word because if you're going to ask what should we laugh, laugh about, your other question, okay, who decides? And whoever who decides what you can laugh about can decide what you can't laugh about tomorrow. Mm -hmm. It's always about drawing the line. You cannot just tell people, I think, I think people should take their chances and just have to face the consequences. And everybody has got their, they will have their own audience. So, for example, I, I know there's some jokes are insensitive. It's insensitive for some people. Uh, is, is it hate speech or is it humor? You don't know. So, and the thing is like, if people became too offended from something, like comedy is about punching up, right? Punching against. Is it though? Like, like most people say, like it's, it's like good comedy or satire punching up. But then if you have like a group of people who say, no, that's, that's racist, that's insensitive, maybe punching up is making fun of those people. So it's, it's, I think you cannot just draw the line because once you draw the line, you have the question who draws the line and where does the line stop? So I think like you just like leave it like free falling for everybody and you just, and, every, and each kind of humor will have its audiences, right? And, uh, and, I, and I think like the whole thing about being too uh, sensitive about jokes and humor and being too offended, I think that's very counterproductive. You cannot just like start to choose different groups of people and say, we cannot joke about those people, we cannot joke about those people. I think we, can, we should joke about everybody. Should the laugh just count for the laugh. In other words, because you mentioned about punching up, and that's what we try to say nowadays, like you should always be punching up. But I think, you know, when I'm hanging out with my friends, we're busting each other's balls. We're literally punching down at each other. So <laughs> punching down sometimes does elicit those laughs. But I, I think what, Christina, what you were saying you is that- You love each other, I'm assuming, you're, you and your friends. We do love each other, yes. Yeah. You, so have, you have a very weird uh, sense of humor, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's what friends yeah. do to each other, though. Or, no, or do, not, no, do friends not make I, fun of each other? I don't know what kind of friends you have, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think if, like, for me, when I think about, um, uh, I perform in theaters because for me, I don't do well in a stand-up club where there's going to be um, a lot of drunk people who are like, be funny right now. <laughs> And then, and then like a waitress comes by with a french fries and like, I, I just too much like i need i need more patience and time and i feel like the the relationship in that audience i have is that their agreement is they're going to 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 be focused and listen and yeah. it's and, and it's less um of a transaction uh but i know um and and so for me like there's i also feel like i have a little bit more freedom to make fun of communities i love yeah. a little whereas but sometimes it backfires, um, and they come out and cancel and <laughs> and come at me, you know, in tweets or whatever. But but I do think a, a lot of it is like establishing that, like knowing that relationship you have with who you're critiquing or yeah. poking fun at. Do you think laughs right now in 2022, or what was saying that should humor have a purpose right now more than it maybe has in the past? I do. What do you think, Basim? No. Basim does it, not. Yeah. I no, think uh, it does. No, it, it, it depends on what kind of a comedian you are. Some comedians go in those comedy clubs and just do uh, kind of like, uh, sorry, assented jokes, right? And people just, uh, there's no purpose other than just eliciting laugh. Uh, laughter is laughter. 
and, 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 if, and the thing is we, sh we should not worry about how politically correct is a joke is, you just have to worry about it if it's funny or not, right? Because the, the, the whole idea about people getting offended is it drives me crazy because now you have people putting lines for you because their feelings are hurt. It, 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 and, 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 it, and feelings are very subjective. Like every, now, like you have people just like they're being offended and being, having their feelings hurt all the time. When I was in Egypt and I was doing, I was making fun of the Islamists in, in power and then after that the, the military in power, everybody was like, oh, you're hurting my religious feeling, you're hurting my patriotic feeling. So it's kind of like you cannot just have people shutting you down or canceling you just because their feelings are hurt. If your feelings are hurt, don't watch it. And this is what happens now. We have like comedians going into like uh, into comedy clubs and strip malls, and then somebody uh, uh, kind of um, uh, sh uh, gets like a, a piece of his uh, of like a, his stand -up, jokes yeah. on his phone, and they put it online, and it goes viral. And people get offended. He's there in a strip mall in a comedy club. He's not like the people there are f are fine. And yes, some jokes are being said, but th that's it. It's like comedy is meant to be offensive. I. I'm okay with offending extremists. Yes, yeah. <laughs> what? I'm okay with offending extremists or yes. extremist governments, but like I don't I don't I don't think I'm gonna go into a room of like black transgender folks and then just like make fun of their size or how they look. Well, well if you if you if you're a good comedian, you can yeah. you can have them on your side and yeah. you can make if there's a way the, to get them the on same, my side. the same yes. way that you can make you make fun of Koreans or I make fun mm. of Arabs and Muslims. I'm and Chinese then, by the way, but, uh, sorry, but sorry, I also sorry. do make sorry. fun of Koreans, yes. Sorry. It's okay. You see the, you see that 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 that, that is I called punching down, person of colored privilege. <laughs> I I'm allowed to be uh, ignorant because I'm not white. So <laughs> You're not American. You're not American. So, <laughs> sorry, because um, you always talk about Korea, Koreatown. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. So, uh, the uh, if if you start, if you can actually bring people on your side. So, I'm I'm gonna give an example. Dave Chappelle or even Louis C.K. I know that he's canceled now, but Louis C.K. has a brand of comedy that he goes into very uncomfortable areas, and he makes you laugh, right? And people know it's like, oh my God, that is so. That's like so offensive, but it's funny. So I think it's about the craft. You can be, I mean, you can have that example, you can have the example that you can see in Fox News, when what's his name, Gutfeld? Greg Gutfeld, yeah. Oh my God, he is terrible. Yeah, he, and it's not terrible because he's racist, he's, he's terrible because he's unfunny. But that's, that's for me, that, he, that, that, that's my opinion. He has like a very, a very good viewership, and there's a, there's a sector of the population who watch him, and they think that he's funny. But, you know, that, that's comedy. It, it, it's very, very subjective. Christina, you wanted to push back. Oh, like, I'm, I don't know if we're, we're, I feel like the, the general language of what you're describing is like, it's okay to offend everyone, it's okay, but I feel like the people that you're naming who you have offended, I'd be like, yeah, great, offend them. <laughs> but, but why like, offend them and not offend other people? Uh, because, I mean. Because uh, they are on I'm, your side. Well, but yes, but why, yes, why? Uh, I think why it would be for, <laughs> People getting offended if the joke's funny. I think, at the, especially when it comes to humor and laughter, it has to land. Like, you know, if you say a joke and it's offensive but it's trash, it's not going to work. On the other hand, you have Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles, in my opinion, the funniest film ever made. Ever, we have fans there. Every single joke 
I mean, it's classic Borscht Belt humor, which people don't understand what Borscht Belt humor is anymore. It's like you ridicule everyone, especially the Jews who came from the Borscht Belt. And you see every single joke land. And you see it, I remember seeing it in well, like early 20s. I saw it recently again and just holds completely. But it works because the jokes work. Richard Pryor was one of the screenwriters, along with Mel Brooks, amazing. But when you hear an offensive joke, that's offensive, but it's just not funny. Like Greg Gutfield's a great example. I find him unfunny. I, one di- but one for, I, for us, yeah. for his audience, he's great. Yeah. Yeah, but when I saw him, like, okay, I'm, like, I'm ready to laugh, and I just didn't laugh at all. And it wasn't that I don't laugh at conservative comments. I could laugh at stuff. It's not that I can't laugh at, at offensive jokes, but I think, I mean, is that what you're trying to say, that the joke has to land in order, then you could be offensive? Or just you shouldn't no, be offensive, it, it, it doesn't, like, again, if someone who, who has his jokes not landing at all, he will be out of business. Yeah. The, the reason why you still have gut filled the other people that they have an audience. And you cannot just, that, that's why comedy is very fluid and it is very difficult to control. So let, let, let's, for example, let, let's, let's use examples, all right? So uh, uh, jokes about Muslims and the Prophet Muhammad. We all know the, those cartoons that happened in Charlie Hebdo and people were killed for it. Mm-hmm. And people were seriously offended because they saw their prophet like being insulted. So does, does that justify killing someone because you're offended? No. And, and, I w- and, and I remember people in the Middle East were celebrating how the EU was like, uh, was kind of like moving towards that insulting Islam is not acceptable and they will be, they will be penalized. And it's like, no, you should not be asking for a, um, a special status to be, to, be, to be treated different from other people and being protected. You should m- make fun of everyone. You know, same people, you make fun of, of Israel, it's like you're anti-Semitic. You make fun of transgender, you're transphobic. Where does where do you stop, right? I, I know it it really comes down to is is that joke funny or is it hate speech? So I think, for example, Dave Chappelle, what he did in in the closer his famous uh, special, I don't think that was hate speech. I think that was humor, and I think it he was he was making fun of certain certain types of transgender people, not all of them. The extreme, the same way when we make fun of white people, when we make a, a white people joke like we always do. White people in the room know that that joke is not about them. It's about a certain type really? of white people. Mm. It's like Karen. I if you say know. a Karen, <laughs> you're not a Karen, but you will laugh. You know, it's like, oh, he makes like a little bit of nuances, right? But the thing is, you just have to accept that if you're going to open the door for, for comedy, every, no one is exempt. Yeah. No one is exempt. Christina. I feel like we're in the rapture right now, right? And that <laughs> it's, everything's falling apart. And, and, and so if we have this privilege of this platform to tell jokes, to have an audience watch us for half an hour or whatever, um, rather than just like craft good jokes that land, like I think this is the moment to, to push for something bigger and more. But this is also me as an activist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Pushing for more. Yeah. And, and comedy has done that. I mean, that's yeah. the great thing about comedy. Yeah, yeah. You see it in different I mean, ways. I, mean, I will not make a joke about transgender people because like, I, that's not a topic that I, am, I, 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 I fully understand and I don't want to go into there. But, you know, I, I, because I prefer to have to direct my comedy elsewhere. But the thing is, if somebody chooses to, then you will have to judge him on like how good he is, if that's hate speech or not, if his comedy is well crafted or not. That's not a jo- that's not the kind of comedy that you will do. But the thing is, that's not just about us. Yeah, it's about everybody trying to make uh, humor about something else. What Christina was saying, though, you know, we're, we're, what you're proposing is having 
comedy that matters, comedy that moves that button. And that's what I've always loved, especially about the stand-up world, the world that the both of you exist in, is that you have these pioneers, people like Lenny Bruce, people like George Carlin, people like you know, John Stewart, and you know, other folks that are sort of reflecting what the times are. They're funny, but they're also pushing things to get better. And what I've always admired about you, Christina, is that you've taken a, a very specific type of comedy that I also think is the hardest type, performance art, like inhabiting these characters, because as a, if you're a stand-up, you could say some dumb joke and people laugh at it. If, yeah. with, when you're a performance artist, you're like, what are they doing? No, but that's the gift of being a performance yeah. artist. Like, is if you don't laugh, it's your fault, not mine. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Right? That's why I loved being a, you know, going, if I own the term performance art, I can never bomb. Like, bombing <laughs> is grantable in, in the world of performance art. It's intentional. What right? was it about it, that, besides that, what was it about it that you picked in terms, because you've done so much advocacy, you've, you know, gone after so much hate, especially anti-Asian hate, especially misogyny against uh, Asian females. What was it about performance art that, especially for you thought like this is the way to really attack these people and this is really the way to make comedy that matters it, it well it just felt like there was at least at the time 20 years ago when you know I was starting to make a body of work it felt like being in a theater space and being around that audience that there was a lot more patience than there would be in a club i feel like stand up has, has changed a lot there's a lot of progressive comedians and a lot of people who whose whose comedies i think pushing for a certain liberation for, for, for marginalized communities. And um, for me, that's really what I wanted. To, I felt like a lot of the of work in theater and performance art was aligned to social movements the way I wasn't seeing it so obviously aligned in a commercial comedy club. Yeah. yeah, and all this work that you've done though, you know, cause one of the critiques I hear about humor from the left is saying, well, what good does laughing do? What good does laughing do when we have all these different problems? And I'm thinking specifically yeah. of all the work that you've done at a time where hate crimes against Asians are at record levels. Yeah. Do you ever, I mean, do you ever have those reflective moments and think like, was I right in doing this? Am I right in having humor? No, I think it's important for, uh, for to have a base of humor and not to just always be in the, in the place of being reactive and reacting to some oppressive force that I think having um, something of your own that you can laugh at allows you to be be the thing, not reacting to a, a dominant culture thing. This is, is this too theoretical? We're in a college setting. It's okay. Yeah, it's ASU. Yeah. Come on, we're pretty theoretical. <laughs> Maybe yeah. if it was the University of Arizona, we'd have to like, Cheapen it a little. Ooh, more. come on! You have to go for the home crowd. Come on! I have to, I have to get, I have to get invited get back in again. Was that punching down? Yes, it was definitely Ooh, punching down. So. That was classic. <laughs> no, it's eating the hand that feeds you. No, no, I was punching <laughs> down in Arizona. I'm giving props to ASU, one thousand percent. Hand that feeds you. You know, we're, we're talking about this, you know, the theoretical humor in, in many ways. And Bassam, you have another, you know, you practice another style of that satire, having a satirical show. Um, coming on, oh, and by the way, if we put you and Ken Jong in a room, who would be the better doctor? Him. Really? Yeah. But you were a surgeon. Uh, yeah, I think he stayed longer than I did. Okay, so yeah. I, and, I, I and, had... and also I didn't have my heart into it. While I was still a doctor, I was also a salsa instructor. So I hated, I, I, hate, I, I hated medicine every day, so I needed to find some sort of an outlet. A salsa instructor? Yeah, yeah I, was, I, was, I was dancing salsa every Not bachata, night. Not bachata, I, I, I was, Yeah, and bachata too. So I, I, so I was, I, I, and, and, and then I, w I went into Argentina tango. I had a really nice life. So uh, <laughs> I had, uh, yeah, I was, I was kind of like, after I finished my, uh, my shifts, I would go out and, and teach. And I was actually earned uh, more money from salsa teachings from, than being a resident. 
Damn. Yeah. So that's my uh, that's my secret life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a dancer. We should talk about dance, but my question was, what was it about satire, especially American-style satire, that told you, like, you know what, I'm done with my bachata career, I want to be a satirist now? Well, uh, like, what was the power that you saw in satire that you were able to do? No, I just had a very good TV deal. No, um, I, uh, <laughs> no, I, uh, the thing is, I, I did, uh, I was already a heart surgeon in Egypt, and I, and I was accepted in a, in a fellowship to go to Cleveland. Uh, right before the Arab Spring happened. So when the Arab Spring happened, I just did a bunch of YouTube videos satirizing the, the state-run media. The state-run media at the time was kind of uh, spreading all kinds of rumors and, 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 and fake news. I know that you're getting to know the term fake news now. We had them for 7,000 years. Uh, for, for us, yeah. fake news is old news. So, so, uh, so, uh, so I, I started to kind of like bring their, their uh, parts of their TV uh, coverage of the revolution and make fun of it. And I didn't think of it, uh, or any of it. I just like threw the couple of YouTube videos and it went viral. And then the day that I had the, um, my, 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 my fellowship papers arrived from Cleveland and about to go, I had the TV offer. Hmm. So I said, you know, there's kind of like, should I continue you now saving people's life or should I choose the money? I choose the money. So um, <laughs> there was so much money. Typical that. comedian, by the way. What? Typical comedian, by of the course, way. Of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but, but I was so scared from that shift. So for the first year and a half of my show, I continued being a doctor. I did not resign. So I would still go to the shifts. I would still go to do my work as a doctor and then go to the TV show. And it was a little bit embarrassing because the patients would recognize me. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it's like, oh, my God, he's the guy from the, uh, the television. It's like, is he going to operate on me? No. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and then after, uh, after a year and a half, when I think, okay, anyway, I think I'm going to, I can have this as a career. So I, I shifted. I, I just, like, put medicine behind me, and I continued full-time in television. And it was, a, uh, it was interesting because it was the first time that people can actually talk about the government and make fun of it. Yeah. You, you always, we, we had political satire before, but you, you always stopped at a certain level. You wouldn't go to the president. You wouldn't go to the people in power. So that was the first time it's like, oh, we can actually do that. So for, the, for many people, the show was a release, but also a disappointment because it stopped and you, you didn't continue the fight. And that is one of the things that uh, people have uh, kind of messed up about comedians. Yeah. They kind of like, they put them on a pedestal and they kind of like push them and, and they think they can be leaders. Comedians are not leaders. I mean, I'm, my role like stops at the edge of my theater, the edge of television. That is the more that I can do. Uh, if people would do something, they would have to do it themselves. But they kind of like, when everything is falling, comedians usually are the ones who are doing their job in a good way. So they put their, a lot of hope and a lot of uh, anticipate, uh, like, um, uh, um, expectations on that and that's very dangerous and and i think that it's why though because people get so inspired i mean you i always tell people like when you have comedians especially the biggest comedians they could pack stadiums gabriel iglesias who's all yeah. you know clean family humor for the most part he packed dodger stadium thirty thousand people if he says like i mean he'll never do this just because that's not his thing but if he says hey you should all vote for all this person a lot of these people do that so i don't think you know, I don't think you should think so lightly of, or you know, dismiss idea that comedians I'm, I'm can't be leaders. I think it's dangerous. I think it's just dangerous to mix things, to mix your job as a comedian, as as someone who does a message, 
Or is it not more dangerous to believe that people are getting hundreds of thousands of dollars from <laughs> uh, from uh, corporations? Yeah, yes, but he, like I, I, I like for example, when John Stewart and, and and Stephen Colbert went to like do these rallies, mm -hmm. I, I think I think kind of like John regretted it because yeah. they say like that that's not our job. They weren't it's, funny at those rallies, but, but it's not. Just, you see, that's the, that's it. Okay. So, Christina. I want to jump in. Go so jump this in. is my issue as someone who was using satire pre-2016, before mm. the re result of that election, was that I felt like, yeah, my job is just to, to give you a different lens of looking at the world. Then we got these election results, and it became really clear that artisan politicians had totally switched jobs, that they were the spectacle makers, they were the clowns, um, I, I had a tele television pilot where I was playing a satirical version of myself, and it just was, it did not make sense anymore in a, a world that, that read like an onion headline every single day. And so um, I was just like, if these politicians are gonna take my job, I'm gonna take <laughs> theirs. And that's why I, I decided to run for office in Koreatown. <laughs> and I won with 72 votes, if you count the vote I cast for myself. Very powerful job. <laughs> But really, I mean, it was just, it was, I, what I observed at least in the pandemic and watching late night comedians do their shows from their homes was that, and hearing no laughter, was that there was a certain earnestness that they held. I'm thinking a lot of Colbert, right? And, and um, who else was, I mostly watched him, but like, and, oh, Trevor and, and Trevor Noah, Trevor Noah yeah. doing from his home, but sort of, they, they held a lot of space and earnestness, and I felt like, that was sort of what was necessary in a moment where everything had flipped, and I and I don't need any more crazy on crazy to help me understand what's happening. I, I actually need this this kind of quiet space, and I think that comedians actually have the potential to hold that too. And the, and I would say in the last few years, at least I observed, I felt like the most earnest thing a comedian could do was, was or sorry, the, the most subversive thing was to reclaim earnestness. Huh. I, I mean, I'm, I do not disagree with that, but the, here, here's, here's the, the, the downfall, of, the, the downside of this. I think, at least from my experience, uh, a lot of people just wanted the, uh, the satire to be an outlet for their frustration, and then they would end up being complacent. Like, oh, mm. I watch it, I watch the guy who's making fun of the guy that I hate, I've done my job, and then nothing. So, and I remember my, my, when my, my show was canceled for the last time, and people <laughs> said, let's go and make a, make a stand in front of the theater. One person showed up. So, for, <laughs> so it's kind mm. of, and it's kind of like, there's a lot of people who just delegate certain, uh, certain figures to, to do the fight for them. Yeah. I, and it's not just comedy, by the way. I, I, there is something about the, the left that has been, they've been invested more about the theatrics of it instead of actually doing the work. So for example, when Trump won the election, in a, a, there was like women marches everywhere, right? Women marches. There was like a one million mm -hmm. women march in LA. And then there was local elections the week after. 12% showed up. Mm -hmm. So that's the, the, the whole thing about the complacency. You, yeah. you, you watch a comedian, it's like, all right, I, I've done my job and I do nothing. And, and I'm not blaming the comedian, but I think that is the, the kind of like, that's the danger of like yeah. the, depending so much 
on the spectacles. People are, went to the Women's March with the Instagram pictures and the funny signs yeah. and the hats and everything. And then elections, we lose. There's definitely, I think, a missing line between the culture that shifts our thinking and the thinking that leads into the voting booth or like some, we can all be like, yay, we want an abortion. But like if, 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 not, if those people are not in there voting yeah. for it or pulling the lever in Congress or whatever because to make it happen. Because it's not gratifying enough to be in line for to vote, but it's very gratifying to have your Instagram yeah. on it, you know? But and I, that is the, that's, that's, that's very dangerous. Yeah. So, so then what, what's the purpose of a laugh then in, in the political sense? Like what can a laugh now in this day and time possibly accomplish, although I do have to say with satire and just mocking the powerful, that's the one thing that the powerful have always hated. From the rain going back to, what was it, Damier doing his illustrations of the Prince Louis Philippe making him into a pair to uh, you know Hitler being mocked by Charlie Chaplin and Jack Benny and all that. Because you could throw all sorts of stuff, firepower and all that at the, at the haters, or rather the powers that be, but the one thing I always say that makes us human is humor especially when it comes in the most dangerous moments. If you have no humor, then you're, you're, the game's over. The game's lost. So for me, humor has always represented hope. No, I yeah. guess I didn't like No, it totally does. I... Thank you. <laughs> I got more applause for that than my joke. I mean, I feel like you're, you are stating something that's very real, is that everyone's like, yeah, let's do it with our thumbs. And that's not the same as legislation or, or actually like, going and running for office and having run for office, even the tiny office I serve, it's so tedious, it's so exhausting, <laughs> it's so unfunny. I am the least, I'm the most normal person in the room, which is really terrifying. <laughs> and um, I, I, I will say, like there, there was one, I do feel like legislation is a, is a series of symbols, just like art is a bunch of symbols, humor is symbols. And one of the most moving moments that we had was we, we made basically a symbolic vote to abolish ICE. A neighborhood council cannot abolish a yeah. federal agency. However, I was like leading the charge <laughs> to like to, to say that Koreatown is, is wants to abolish ICE, and and it felt like I was booking an open mic. I brought in all these undocumented friends of mine to speak, and it was very emotional, and they were all sharing their stories, and it was probably one of the most human moments that we've had in a meeting, just to hear everyone's story and. And, and, and really feel that. And so I think that's like, it's maybe not so much humor, but it's, it's a humanity. It's an earnestness, it's stories. yeah. It's, it's um, getting, <laughs> you know, I think when, you, when we're looking at bills and laws, they look like this, but when we see it in the form of people, it's, it's that much more moving. And that needs to find, it's, something needs to happen. There's two have to meet. So what, what should humor do then? And now at this moment, what, sh what should humor I, I do? I think right now, humor, the, the, the purpose that it serves is just release. Because I feel that most of the comedians which are naturally liberal or left-leaning, we're just uh, preaching to, uh, to the choir. Mm -hmm. We're just speaking to us. Mm -hmm. We're not bringing anybody over. We're not changing any, any, anybody's mind on the other side because they hate us. They don't want to watch us. They like no, nobody from the right side would watch John Stewart or Trevor Noah's like, oh, I never thought about it that way, you know? So I think what, the, I, in all honesty, I think that the humor, uh, comedy and humor and satire, now we're just like speaking to our, to our team. And they're just like happy, just like we're punching the, the other powerful people and yeah. that's it. I, I think. I, I know it sounds very, I, but, but I think I, I, it's too realistic. And I know, I, I, it's just like, 
I have been in so many panels before and so many. Uh, 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 and this is your favorite one. And I'm this your is, favorite no, no, no. It's, it's, uh, absolutely. But what I'm saying is, <laughs> there is so many. There is kind of like a kind of a romanticizing of of, of, of comedians and comics. Yeah. And I think I just we need we need to be real realistic about that. When people say, "Oh my God, you're not you're so brave," I was not brave. I was doing my job, and then just mm -hmm. like I was in a place that they were assholes. They didn't accept the humor, and I go, they were kicked out. The whole thing about like, oh, you're brave, you're a comedian, you're changing things, you're changing the world, you're changing people's minds. You ch you're not really. You're, you're really. Be you're talking to your own people. It reminds me. And I'm, so, I'm sorry, I'm being very blunt, and oh, go, go ahead, ma ma maybe because yeah. I come from the Middle East, and we 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 kind of traumatized. But yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> no, I but, what so, is but it? here there's a lot of hope. Yeah, enjoy it while playing. I guess for me, I'm like, <laughs> I I believe it's important. Yeah, to, to the preaching to the choir is important because you need to solidify the base, right? But I guess for me, I'm always, I I do believe. You know, you're saying John Stewart and Colbert were like, it's not our job to do rallies. And I'm like, I know it's not. It's none of our jobs. But we're in the rapture, folks. We have to, <laughs> like, you know, um, and I'm saying this as someone who led a mutual aid group in the pandemic and ran for office, right? So I have a very specific point of view around this where I feel like. Just released a book. Yeah, too. And, and we put out this book called Auntie Sewing Guide to. What is our book called? <laughs> I did not like this title, but it's a, a Googleable uh, mask making radical it's, care it's, and racial it's, justice, it's, right? Is it, it's a great book. You know, thank you. I just gave it. To I, ju I just got it, and I can I can feel I can feel it's so great. It's <laughs> uh, finish your point. Yeah. But but I think um, yes, we're, it, yes, a comedian's job is not to fix the whole entire world. I used to say that. Listen, my job is not to fix the whole world, but I guess I feel like I'm in a point looking at all this, going well. The people who are hired to fix it aren't fixing it, so, you know. Might as well do it. Let's just try it. Like, I wasn't trying to run a FEMA in the <laughs> pandemic, and I, yet I was, you know, I was distributing uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars of medical and hygiene supplies to farm workers and stuff because we couldn't figure out how to get government agencies to do it. And I sort of saw what Auntie Sewing Squad looked like if a comedian ran FEMA. And it was actually the way we related to each other was different than a factory line. We joke that we're a sweatshop, but, but it was like, or cult. But you know, it, a lot of it was like the morale and team building that I knew how to do from theater, I was able to do with these 800 remote aunties all over the country. So I do feel like, yeah, we don't want to fix the world, but it's falling apart, right? So we got to if there is one function for comedy, for satire, it's a litmus paper test. It's a litmus paper to see, to, 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 to decide what kind of people of power do you have. Hmm. Like, uh, I, I, I was a litmus test for, because I was canceled from, for both Islamist and, and military authority. Here, it, it served as an incredible litmus test when Donald Trump boycotted the White House Correspondents' Dinner. That for me, as a foreigner yeah. coming here to the United States, it's like that's it, because all the presidents before him, they went to that dinner and they went willingly there to be made fun of, even if it was for a show. George W. Bush, his his famous uh, 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 night with Stephen Colbert, of course, and even Reagan, he was shot, and he called in from the hospital. That is how important it is. So when Donald Trump boycotted the, the, uh, the correspondent dinner for four years, that tells a lot about who he is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think if you want to say, like, what, what, what is humor useful for? It's useful for a litmus test to see what you have is actually like a good ruler or a tyrant. We're going to get to questions, and that's a brilliant point. Um, 
I just want, when you said about uh, uh, preaching to the choir and being in bubbles, it reminded me of a famous joke that Pat Morita, the legendary actor and karate kid, he, was, he once was a comedian in front of a reunion of World War II veterans, and the first thing he told them was, yeah, sorry about Pearl Harbor. <laughs> he went there. He, you know, you think about it, like, why did he go there and why did he do it? It was to mess with him. It's like, yeah, I know all of you, you incarcerated my people during World War II, you still think that my, you know, Japanese Americans were them, so I'm just gonna fuck with you. I'm just gonna say this joke and just like put it there. So anyways, going to questions and here we go. Yeah, so um, if there's, in person, uh, there's gonna be a mic for you. I'm gonna read some that have been going on on Twitter first, so I'll read two and then we'll get to in person. Oh, here we go, could I have to get it from here? Okay, could Christina and Bossom please speak to the difference, if any, between offensive humor and mean-spirited humor? And I think you got it, Christina, where like, well, a mean-spirited, I mean, you could, I don't know. Your, your friends there's don't no make love. fun of you? There's no love. Yeah, there's no love. Yeah. There'd be no love. There'd be no love. Mm -hmm. So th that's what's it for you, Basso? It's very re relative. You cannot say. Yeah. I, 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 you cannot decide. Uh, it depends on the, on the context, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the event, the, the, the surroundings, the circumstances. It's, it's very different because some jokes that, and, and also it depends on the time. What, what could be mean-spirited today could be, a, a great joke tomorrow and vice versa. You don't know. It's, it's very difficult to just, that's why humor is very difficult to contain. Yeah. Because it's very subjective, it's very fluid, and people perceive it in different ways. Can a joke be timeless? Of course. Like knock-knock jokes. Knock, knock. <laughs> <laughs> Punching down, that was mean. Um, <laughs> here, blast from the past. Would Lenny Bruce be canceled today and would he care? Does, I mean, it's awesome, yourself as someone who's actually been canceled, does the comedian get, does the media, did you care that you were canceled at the end? Yeah, of course, I mean, like, the, because, like, I had a show, I had, like, my, 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 the team behind the show were my family, basically. So they, and that was, like, a beautiful dream. It came out of nothing. We had 40 million people watching every week. It was, like, the, like it, was, it was an incredible dream that we built together. So, of course, it, it was, there was a lot of heartbreak. Uh, but, you know, uh, yeah, I did care. But I, I left that behind and I, I just didn't want to reminisce about that and I just started a new career in the United States. Christina, does canceling actually even exist among comedians? Because the people who are here, who I hear uh, whine about canceling the most, are saying on their own podcast that has all these people paying money for yeah. them to have that podcast. So does that word even I work? I think it only, it's so unclear what canceling is because when we had a, a pre-talk yeah. on Zoom about this, I was like, Alex Jones tried to cancel me, and then you like trumped me, and you were like, well, <laughs> Egypt, the entire government canceled me, and I was like, all right, okay. Like, as, in, <laughs> as in canceled. <laughs> I mean, I feel like, to me, I guess I would identify a full-on cancel as like you have no resources, and like I think Roseanne Barr, I would say she's effectively canceled at hmm. this point, like no one's giving her any resources. But is but it also but, because she's so volatile? But, but here's yeah. the thing, maybe Roseanne Barr, if she goes to certain people who like her message, they will give her a show, yeah. they will give her something. The idea of cancel, I, I yeah. think what we now call cancel, it's just like rage on Twitter. Just people are angry at Twitter. Yeah. You cannot just like say that someone is canceled just because people are angry at him. If they started losing uh, like the, the, their, their contracts and they cannot work anymore, and it's not like gonna cancel. I mean, he's just gonna be shelved 
And then they're going to come C. back. Louis yeah, C.K. Exactly. is coming back. Everybody's coming back. I, I mean, Bill even, Cosby. Even, even Kevin Spacey is coming back, you know? Oh, so, God. Yeah. So the, so the thing is, I, I think the whole thing about canceled is if you have to make like, I mean, like a horrible scandal that is going to be so toxic to whatever product you're attached to. Yeah. Otherwise, no one is really canceled. I yeah. think so. I, I, th- I, think it's I, I think it's just like people are exaggerating. And people's like, I've got death threats. It's like YouTube comments, man. It's like people commenting on your feet saying, I'm going to kill you. Come on. I feel like you're diminishing the extent to how I've been canceled. No, I'm not. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just death threats, Christina. <laughs> no. Doesn't everyone get death threats, though? <laughs> I, I mean, if, it's... it's I, 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 I get I, it. I, Not all of us can be canceled by Egypt, okay? By two, by two governments of Egypt, the Islamist one and the military. And one. I was detained in a couple of airports to be deported. So, okay, but I'm not okay, going to talk about win. that. Lottie, no, but, but I'm just, I, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> uh, like I, I understand that people are afraid of that, but I think people are exaggerating it a little bit. Which is, by the way, I think it's good. I think it is, it is okay to make so much noise when people get a lot of backlash for humor because you don't want to slip into real cancellation. Yeah. So it's fine. I understand, I understand the anger, I understand the anxiety, but I don't think that you have really what you can qualify as a cancellation right now. Yeah. Let's get to audience questions live, so uh, ask away. Hello, my name's Stuart Davenport. I'm a history professor. Um, I deal in a lot of horror. Uh, I try to break that up uh, with my students to kind of break the tension uh, using humor, lame jokes, but not really topical jokes with what I'm talking about. Um, My question is, can comedy be used to heal some of the wounds that are historically inflicted? Mm -hmm. Um, And my, uh, I'm thinking of the show Black Adder, uh, the British show. Um, There's a a, a 17th century Puritan character who had crosses coming out of his lapels. He was so Puritan. And someone was trying to awkwardly make a conversation with him and says, it's awfully cold today. He says, cold is God's way of telling us it's time to burn more Catholics. Um, uh, so my, uh, in Britain, Catholics can joke about this time when they were burned alive for their beliefs. Um, can any, I, I'm an American history professor. Can anything like that happen in America or are sensitivities just simply too high I think comedy can help heal, um, but it can also do a lot of damage uh, potentially along the way. I'll actually start because I have an example as a reporter. So I used to do a lot of stories about the Catholic Church sex abuse scandal, like the spotlight basically in, in Orange County. And when, I, when all you do is just talking, especially with survivors of sex abuse, of you know, cover-ups and all that, at the end, all you could do is just laugh at just the horrificness of it all. And so I started inserting jokes into my stories about pedophile priests. And people got upset, but the people who loved it the most were their survivors themselves. So, and I would get letters from them saying, you know, via email, thank you so much for, and of course, I was not making fun of the survivors themselves. I was making fun of their assailants, but more importantly, I was making fun of the people like here in Los Angeles, Cardinal Mahoney, who covered up for all these pedophiles. So in that sense, they would tell me like, yeah, I, you know, you made me laugh at something, something very traumatic, but I needed that. And more importantly though, this is where I get back to power. It's like, you're not afraid of those people. And because you're not afraid, that gives me some solace that someone's here ready to fight for me. 
But I mean, do, do the both of you think comedy can be healing? Yeah, completely. I, I, I've worked, uh, I've done a lot of projects with different communities where we use humor, undocumented immigrants. Yeah, they're very funny. Uh, formerly incarcerated folks, right? And there's a very specific kind of body of humor that no one else has a reference point to. People have been in prison, like that's... Those well, you're seeing it right now on Hulu yeah. with This Fool, the show This mm -hmm. Fool, yeah. I haven't seen that yet, but yes. I'm assuming yes, but... <laughs> but go on. <laughs> but yeah, and, and I do feel like, like they don't want to trot out tragic stories all the time about their existence and how hard it is. And um, I don't either. Like, I want to find the, those moments of levity and laughter and some sense of control and power, and that's where the laughter comes from. Awesome. Yeah, I think it could be like over a, over a, a long period of time. So uh, an example for that, for example, uh, there were many of the award shows when the host comes out and, and, and jokes about the lack of re representation of certain minority <laughs> groups. That would have been, that was almost like a, 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 a constant theme, a, con a running joke. And then now you see more representation. Uh, so it helps, but on, on, the, on the extreme side, I think we, we should not celebrate uh, healing a wound by opening another. Hmm. No. So, for example, I'm, uh, now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of swaying away from the question. Um, the whole thing about representation, it's amazing that you have now uh, a black mermaid. You ha it's amazing that you have p people of color like in all of the shows. But then, and, and of course, like the race is why people are so, so angry. Okay, that's good. But what happens now is you say people, it's, it's not about the color, it's about if you can act or not, which is great. But now you have uh, someone, James Franco, he was casted for to do Fidel Castro, all right? Mm. So here's the thing. You, you, see, you see what he did? You see, because he's a white guy playing a Latino. But nobody blinked when La, uh, Lana de Armas played Marilyn Monroe. So here's the thing. You say, so how can you justify this for everybody? Because now, now you can say, like, so people of color can pay white people, but white people cannot play people of color. That's right. Why? <laughs> why? That's right. Why? No, That's no, right. why? 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 That's why? Right. No, I, That's I mean, right. no, I it, it shouldn't go to the best actor? I think with, when it came to James Franco, the issue was that it was James Franco. Everyone despises James Franco. That's number one. I don't think so. Number two, I, I, do I, don't, think so. I don't think so. And, and the, the other because, way, wait, let me push back on that. Because, because people thing, celebrated Hamilton when, uh, when we had all of these people of kind. It was amazing. People submitted the House of the Doll was played by a, a woman of color. And that's amazing. That's progress because for, for decades, Hollywood like ignored people of color. They, and they still have, do, though. They I, still and, do. And with they Latinos, do, and I, they the continue. other thing, even though everyone but, despises but what I'm, what I'm Castro, saying, but what I'm saying how many is, Latinos do you actually have on shows, especially in a city yes, that's 50% Latino, and you have and we, no should, Latinos at all? Yeah. We should. We should. I'm playing here the devil's advocate, of course. right? Because now you're having... Oh, you're uh, not really like this? Because no, I was just like, what's wrong with you? No, Why are you advocating for white no, actors? No, I'm not... Ad that, by the way... Why are you advocating uh, for James Franco right no, now? No, I'm not. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm advocating for... Because this is the logic. If you are going to say the best actor should get the role, he should get it despite his color, the color of his skin. Because now you're going to be accused of reverse racism. It's like, That's okay, not so real. That so, is not real. So you can have, like, people of color can play white people, white people cannot play people of color. But that would imply that it was even to begin with. That we were, I understand. And, and we're not there. I understand, but like the thing is, it has to the the, the option has to be there. Or are we gonna do a, 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 like a ban for white people for the next seventy years? So to to get to to sure. make up for <laughs> okay, that's funny. Come we, and get me. <laughs>
Yay, YouTube comments. Okay. We we have another question from the audience. I'm reading it from here. And, and by the way, it actually, works for me to have more people of color. That's actually better for me to do the job. But the thing is, it, 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 this is the kind of the pushback that you're going to have. Yeah. Right? I would, it's amazing that you see more representation now. But the, you, if, you, if you're... If you're um, uh, if your point that you, it goes to the best actor regardless of their, their skin, you should, you should actually be to, to do that to, like, fairly for everybody. No, that's it. I, I see your point. Uh, I want to get to this one because it's funny. Given the effectiveness of a comedian in government in Ukraine, we'll ask Bassem first, do you think we need more comedians that is professional comedians in government? No. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you can't, you, there can't be more Zelenskys out there in the world. I know, but... <laughs> Um, well, let, let me ask you this. What is it about, and, and Christina as well, please. What is it about a comedian in government that can be dangerous? Like, what is it about the comedic mind? I'll start with Christina. Like, what is it about the comedic mind that then can actually lead to uh, possibly bad things? Well, I would say that, um, like, Robert's Rules of Order really, really sucks in terms <laughs> of, like, trying to, like, <laughs> riff and build. Like, it's just so, so boring. And, and... Um, and you're not like supposed to heckle, and there's so oh, I have so many. I make great faces in my meetings, but I don't I don't say anything because I don't want to stretch them out longer than the four or five hours that they go without a break. Um, but I do think what I will say is effective about a, a, a comedian in government. We're just I think we, we we know how to get a crowd going and get people behind us, and and so much of a government I'm realizing is like we love blaming. I mean, maybe it's different in a dictatorship. It's definitely different in the dictatorship. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know... The, in dictatorship, but, there's no comedians. <laughs> yeah. But so much about a democracy is we actually have to get involved. Yes, we go to the rallies, we tweet the things, but we also have to vote. And we actually need to do things. And I've, I've learned how slow government is. And so there's something about artists that know how to move things quicker, that know how to just sort of get to it to activate people and help them make the connection between like, I know it looks like a bunch of laws on paper, but this is the actual action that needs to play out. And it's not just the government, but there is a, a we that we've completely lost and become, I mean, the, the voter turnout, which is often like less than half, is very, um, prescriptive and sort of showing us just like how much we've lost this idea that, that we are actually part of getting stuff done. Hmm. Uh, we have a question from the audience and then after that I think we're gonna wrap up. Do I hold this or do you hold it? Okay, great. Hi, uh, hi Christina, <laughs> hi Gustavo, it's Josefina. Hey, what's up? Uh, uh, could I ask two questions? Yeah. Okay, great, I'll have one for Bassam and one for Christina. Bassam, uh, since, uh, well, I, I think we could make fun of our blind spots. I think that is one thing that most people don't know how to do, but I think we can start doing that. Uh, so Bassam, you feel you can make fun of everyone. Um, how do you make fun of your privilege as a man, probably as an upper class person from Egypt, um, and your blind spots? Uh, oh, not now? Okay. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I, I do that all the time in my comedy. In my stand-up, I make fun of, uh, of me as, as a... As a a guy coming from uh, a Muslim Arab culture, and uh, and it's actually big, like uh, self-deprecation is a huge part of, of comedy. And how do you know uh, your blind spots? Uh, how do you see them, Bassam? I don't because they're blind. 
Okay. <laughs> okay. I assume I give people what I, th I make them believe that they're my blind spot because I want to protect myself and not get into the trauma of discovering who I am. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's another question. <laughs> and Christina, um, you amaze me because you are a triple minority. And you're gonna say, well, which is the third one? Being an artist, right? Being a hustler, because we're always struggling for money, right? Anyway, um, but how, where do you get the courage to be so vulnerable? You know, because when people are the protect, you know, protected vulnerable people, when you make fun of them, that's called bullying, right? Uh -huh. The reason we punch up is because we don't kick anyone who's down, because then that's bullying, right? But for you, you, you have so many disadvantages. Obviously, you're a genius and brilliant. I'm not so that's, that disadvantaged. Okay, let me compliment you, In the Olympics, okay. I'm not you're doing genius. as anyway, badly. Where do you get the courage to make fun of yourself? And really, like, I've seen your shows, and I go, wow, most people can't even do something like that. Where do you get the courage and resiliency to be so vulnerable I and mean, yet make us laugh? I mean, at this point, you are all my therapists, and I d don't want to pay for a therapist. So this is just how it plays out. You listen to me and you pay me to hear me talk about <laughs> my problems, not the other way around. That's, I don't know. <laughs> but right. I don't, yeah, I don't know where vulnerability comes from. But I really, I mean, I honor it when I see it in other people. And so I, I think, I guess, I feel like it's, it's, um, it's, it's uh, commendable or, that's not the word, but like, I think it's, a, it's, it's so important to be vulnerable. Like that's all kind of we have left at this point to really connect to other human beings. Hmm. And by the way, the person who asked the question was the legendary playwright, mm -hmm. Josefina Lopez. Round of applause for you. Yes. <laughs> not that I got all quiet. Like. In high school, I did high school <laughs> speech and we have this thing called thematic interpretation where we had to find monologues and there, there are no monologues about Chinese American girls. Um, and so I was given Josefina's play to perform because that was sort of close. Anyway. So wow, that's amazing. <laughs> so it was like so that she wrote when, when you were a teenager and so that was like, it's really incredible that to have you as a friend now. Incredible, she's yeah. absolutely awesome. Okay, we're gonna end with one question, the theoretical one, then after that we'll be mingling and all that, but what did I have? What will we laugh about? Mm. Instead of what should and what could, what will we laugh about? The apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> the and end of the to. word. Yeah. yeah, about how hard this time was <laughs> and how overwhelming. And we'll probably laugh about, I think we're already laughing about cancel culture. Yeah. I know what we're going to do. Climate um. change. Climate change. Climate we're going to laugh about that a lot. Yeah, because that's the end of the word as we know it. <laughs> Only way to go down is by laughing. Yeah. Christina Wong, Basem Youssef, <laughs> round of applause, comedic geniuses. Thank you all for being here. I have to say my goodbye now, sorry. We're out of time, so I want to thank you again for this wonderful conversation, and thank you to everyone in our live audience for tuning in tonight, although you tune in online. Thank you for the live audience for being here, actually, in person. You'll be able to find a summary of our talk at SocaloPublicSquare.com by tomorrow, plus interviews with all of us. And please do subscribe to Socalo's newsletter, amazing essays, by the way, and podcasts for more great conversations, and follow Socalo on social media. Everyone, please stay for our reception to meet each other and continue the conversation. Thank you again, Basem and Christina, for your conversation tonight. Everyone, please give our guests one more applause. Thank you so much. Good night. Hey, it's a pleasure.